Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. What we're going to be talking about today, markets. We have uh, crop ratings uh, from yesterday that were released. And overall, they still look pretty good. But there are some areas of concern. We're starting to see some of the uh, weather issues kind of pull down the numbers a little bit. Uh, We know that uh, some places like North Dakota that's been very, very dry, they finally have received some rain. But uh, they've got a long ways to go to catch up. But uh, we'll be talking about those conditions and those crop ratings and how the markets react to them with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Also, we're going to look at the situation on the U.S.-Mexico border. Farm bureaus are calling on the Biden administration to take action to deal with this issue as thousands and thousands of people have poured across the borders and they're coming across... uh, farmers and ranchers land and there are a lot of problems there a lot of concerns and we're going to talk with the president of the texas farm bureau russell baining will join us to talk about the situation there on the border and their call for action by the administration to address this issue and we're going to talk uh, wheat crop both winter wheat and spring wheat with justin gilpin ceo of kansas wheat a little bit later on in the program but we'll start things off talking about the news with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, good to talk with you, and uh, no uh, shortage of topics, that's for sure. I know one of the things you are working on there, DTN, a story on the future of ethanol. What are you What are you putting together? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Mike. We're uh, we're looking at you know there's a lot of talk in the industry about where things are going. Uh, you know we've had a lot of uncertainties with the RFS. We talk about. Um, low carbon fuel standards and all these things. And uh, so Matthew Wild and me here at DTN, we've, uh, we're working on a cover story for the magazine talking about uh, what that future really is. You know, we're reaching out to farmers who are involved with ethanol plants. We're talking to uh, plant owners. We're talking with, uh, you know, people who are involved in federal policy and that sort of thing. And uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh, we think uh, just on our reporting so far, we think the future has a lot of potential. There's a lot of a lot of bright spots. There's a lot of uncertainties, but it's really nothing new in the industry other than, uh, you know, we're always looking toward tomorrow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's an industry that's faced one <laughs> challenge after another. And you could look at the situation right now as another great challenge or another great opportunity. It could be both, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people at the start of the Biden administration, you know, there's been a lot of concern about where the, you know, where energy policy is going in this country and talk of electric vehicles, all these things that, uh, you know, kind of gets in the way when you, when you know about, when you talk about ethanol and its benefits. And, um, but then again, you know, this is, this really is an opportunity. Every, everything like this that comes up uh, from administration, administration presents opportunities. And I think that's what we're finding in our reporting, and I think, uh, you know, there's a level, I think there's a level of optimism, but uh, as always, we just, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I think the, you know, the opportunities are definitely there. Yeah, we'll look forward to your reporting on that. Meanwhile, the Biden administration last week announced their plans to uh, change some of the Trump administration's uh, policies concerning endangered species. 
Uh, what's this all about? Well, yeah, Mike, you know, uh, during the Trump years, we had a number of changes, uh, not just in the, on this front, but across the economy. You know, we had a real deregulation move uh, by, the, by that administration. You know, we saw changes in the water rule. Uh, we've seen a lot of things happening. And one of those was the Endangered Species Act. You know, the president, uh, former President Trump made some changes to that uh, that essentially made things a little bit more business friendly and a little bit more farmer friendly. Um, and then last Friday afternoon, the Biden administration announced that it was going to reverse all that. And so I'm uh, not really sure what that's going to mean long term, but I think we're going we do know that we're going back to where the Endangered Species Act sat before uh, Trump had made changes to the uh, to the law. You want controversy? Just bring up endangered species. <laughs> There's always controversy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've seen that. You know, we've seen it time and again. Uh, you know, I've been a DTN for over 15 years, and the Endangered Species Act has always been a point of discussion, you know, talking about reforming it, changing it, and all the, you know, all the difficulties that it presented to farmers and ranchers. And so we're still there, and uh, it doesn't seem like a whole lot has changed. Yeah, there's always a difference of opinion on what species should be considered endangered, and many people feel that humans become endangered by the policies that are implemented when it comes to protecting some of these uh, these uh, species. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, we've, we've talked about this before. Not only are Republicans expressing their yeah. concerns uh, over some of the uh, tax proposals by President Biden when it comes to like stepped-up basis and, tap, and uh, capital gains tax and things like that, but so are some Democrats, including the chair of the House Ag Committee, Georgia Democrat David Scott, saying the tax plan could hurt farmers, even though the tax liability would be deferred as long as a family farm stays in operation. So we're starting to hear more Democrats speak out, as we figured we would, especially those representing rural areas. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I think, you know, the one thing about Chairman Scott, um, you know, he's he's really not a partisan in many respects. I mean, we We've seen his work on, on various ag committees over the years, and he's, he's very much in kind of the same spirit that we've seen from these ag committees. You know, there's like a bipartisan spirit that's always been, always been there, you know, getting the farm bills done and, and really looking out for this industry. Uh, so in a sense, it, you know, his concerns about the stepped-up basis problem, uh, you know, in the Biden tax plan is, uh, is really not unexpected. I think uh, Chairman Scott has been really kind of out in front on a lot of these issues all along, and I think that... But you're right. Uh, you know, when you start hearing the other side of the aisle talk about concerns, it, it does raise, uh, kind of raises the bar a little bit. And I think perhaps, uh, you know, having him on that side of this issue is probably going to help, uh, you know, going forward in, in terms of what that tax plan is actually going to look like. Yeah, the question has been, can uh, the president get bipartisan support? Maybe the question should be, can he get partisan support? Right, absolutely. You know, and I think, uh, you know, if you, if you want to find out, you know how things are going. Uh, you know from the from the administration. You always look to the ag committees. I think, uh, you know, it, it's over the history. It's been it's been a real bipartisan nature of, of things there. And I think, yeah. And anytime you see something like this come up, and um, you know, at this point in time, I, I I think it does raise some alarms for uh, for the administration. And raises questions about uh, will we get an infrastructure package done or not? Yeah, remains to be seen. All right, Todd. Good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right, DTN reporter Todd Neely. 
Well, another one of those controversial topics, of course, is the immigration issue and what's going on at our southern border. We'll be talking about that later with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Boehning. Farm bureaus across the country are calling on the Biden administration to take action on the border issue. We'll talk about that later. Coming up next, though, we're going to talk markets as we look at the latest crop condition numbers and weather concerns moving forward, China's uh, plans to purchase more or not. We'll be talking about all that with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, and despite strong commodity prices, we see this significant decline in the barometer. What's behind these numbers? I was a little surprised that the drop was as bigger as big as it was, but certainly there were several questions where we saw a drop in sediment. There's a couple things I think that were going on behind the scenes that are important to understand this drop. One of those is the last couple of months there's been a large divergence in the sediment for crop producers and livestock producers. And a full third of the survey uh, is of livestock producers and particularly uh, cow-calf producers, but the beef industry in general. And certainly the sediment is much lower for the livestock producers compared to the crop producers. And so I think that contributed to the drop in the index. But even though we don't ask the question directly, I think there's also some um, worries, at least, regarding inflation. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Tomorrow and Thursday, I'll be at World Pork Expo in Des Moines. One of the topics we'll be talking quite a bit about the um, court ruling uh, on line speeds and packing plants, slowing them down, and the pork industry very concerned about this. They asked USDA to appeal it. USDA has declined so far to do so. Learning today that uh, Senator Grassley is heading up a, a letter asking USDA and the Department of Justice to appeal that ruling. Senator Grassley saying the slower line speeds could lead to a $23 per head decline in hog prices. By the way, Senator Grassley is scheduled to be on with us here on AOA on Monday, so that'll be one of the things we'll talk with him about as well. But you can bet uh, bet for sure that uh, that'll be a big topic of conversation at World Pork Expo this week in Des Moines. All right, let's talk markets now with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, always good to talk with you. We have uh, the weekly crop condition numbers, the ratings, still overall pretty good, but uh, we're starting to see some uh, concerns, some of the weather issues we've talked so much about, starting to pull on those numbers a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Corn, good to excellent rating, came down four points. Uh, Mike, down to 72. Now, honestly, I thought last week 76% was too high, and I think there's room still for that rating to come down. I think one of the problems is, you know, when they're assessing fields right now, uh, some of those corn crops aren't that large, and there's just not much to see or assess. And it's just going to take a little time before they get a better understanding of just how dry those fields are. So actually, I've been focused a little more on their, their topsoil moisture counts. And there we see a very dry situation still across the northern tier of the corn belt. And to me, that's probably more indicative of the real concern that we have this year. I understand that North Dakota, parts of North Dakota, did get some rain uh yesterday and last night so that's much needed but it's going to take a lot more uh how do the markets react to these weekly numbers now you think uh well uh to be honest uh i don't think the markets paid them a whole lot of attention now uh, as you say we did get lower good to excellent ratings so that helps support the market a little but really i think it's still that weather forecast that's dominating the activity on the board and so we're seeing corn and soybeans higher again double digits here today, and we've got hot temperatures headed to the southwestern plains, and we're seeing the winter wheat prices up as well. Markets tend to believe it's going to be a big crop until they're somehow shown that <laughs> otherwise, right? I mean, they're they're slow to to think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and you know, over the years, that's kind of the right way to play. The, the odds are we typically do have a a decent crop, or in fact, most years we have good weather versus drought. Uh, but this is one of those years where uh, we might see a below trend line yield, or it certainly seems to be starting up that way, uh, especially in the western corn belt. And as we've talked before, the, the supply uh, situation is so tight this year for both corn and beans. We just don't have a lot of margin to come up short on our crop this fall. Yeah, that's the big difference. We start off in such a tight situation. We're talking with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Of course, we continue to watch China. What's happening there with their purchases? 
you know, their purchases are very active. Unfortunately, right now, it's not in the U.S. They're focused on Brazil. Uh, Brazil's been shipping out record amount of soybeans uh, down south. Of course, they had a record harvest this year, near 5 billion bushels of soybeans. So that's not unexpected at this point. But it's going to take probably a few more months for China to work through that supply before they turn their attention to the U.S. here uh, in the fall. So uh, as we continue to watch them, I mean, we talk a lot about the Safrina corn crop in South America not being all that good. Um, That puts more pressure back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Our need to have a big crop. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to increase our export opportunity, uh, of course, Brazil being one of the big competitors we have for corn. Uh, And and, uh, I think there's already pressure uh, on USDA probably to raise that export estimate, even for old crop corn, uh, as well as uh, new crop corn. So we're still seeing fairly active demand in that situation. This time of year, our export sales tend to go down naturally anyway because we're getting more com- competition uh, from the other countries, primarily South America. But uh, as you say, with Brazil coming up short, that really bodes well for our corn exports the next nine months out. Let's talk a little bit about wheat. Uh, we're getting ready for wheat harvest, uh, the winter wheat harvest, and uh, we also know that there have been some weather challenges already to the spring wheat crop. So what do you see happening with prices? Yeah, you know, I really thought maybe winter wheat was ready to give it up for a while here, uh, the way they acted. They they made their highs about a month and a half ago uh, or so, and then uh, we had some nice rains in the southwestern plains that really helped kind of pick up crop conditions. Uh, but as of late, we're seeing more support, and it's really coming, I think, more from the concern about the spring wheat crop because the uh, the drought situation in the Dakotas and uh, eastern Montana is just so severe. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to get over that, even if we do get, uh, we're supposed to get a couple more days of rain here uh, in the Dakotas. The uh, Canadian crop actually uh, is in better shape for their spring wheat, and they even have a better looking forecast as far as broad rain coverage. So that hit the market a little bit on yesterday, but still overall, uh, I think we're going to have uh, uh, lower than expected spring wheat crop, and that's kind of helped bolster all the wheat prices. Todd, what are your thoughts moving forward? Um, there have been some saying this is a boom before a bust, and uh, there are a lot of concerns about down the line. You know, one thing we see is as commodity prices go up, we see input costs go up with them and cash yeah. rents and things like that. And then there's always a concern if the commodity prices drop, those other costs, the input costs and the higher cash rents, things like that, they tend to come down slower, it seems like, not certainly not in lockstep with the commodity prices. So are you concerned about hitting that situation here in the near future or not? Um, I'm concerned only because uh, we've been at this for so long that we've been kind of trained to be very leery of any bull market, as that's typically how it's usually ended. Uh, and, and I definitely share those concerns that you're absolutely right. Those income uh, input costs come down a lot slower uh, than, than the market does and uh, often takes maybe three or four years for that to, to adjust out. So uh, I, I'm totally, um, it, my antenna radar are totally up for that situation. I have to say, though, in this particular predicament, 
this year, as far as we can tell, the demand needs from China are still very large and very legitimate. So I think that's still going to undergird and give this uh, whole market a higher level of support than we would see in most uh, years. You know, usually when we have a bull market, it's because we had a weather drought or some shortfall in production. And then the next year, we make up that surplus and rebuild the surplus. This year, it's going to be very difficult to rebuild any surplus in corn or soybeans, especially with the dry scenario we're seeing early this season. I mean, surprises happen. We were surprised when the rally started back in August. But um, as you said, and, and here's the other part of it. We know you can't always go by fundamentals because outside things can and can change things. Yeah. But the fundamentals, yeah. as you said, would indicate this has to have, this rally would seemingly have legs to it yet for a while. Yes. And uh, I think that's the, the odds on bet at the moment. Um, and, uh, but as you say, you know, I've seen several times where we go home with a hot, dry forecast on Friday and then Sunday night it rains cats and dogs. <laughs> and, and I think we've all been, uh, through, through that situation. So it's hard to get, uh, too overly confident about anything, especially this time of year, because things can be so volatile and those forecasts can change. Uh, so quickly. But as far as our best market clues, especially regarding China, as we look at the, the corn and soybean price in China, they seem to be staying very well supported. Corn's still up uh, just under $11 a bushel uh, translated into their currency. So it, it still uh, seems quite likely that their demand needs are, are very high again this year. And of course, with China, there are a lot of other factors, political factors and things like that, that uh, can oh, impact ag sales as well so again it could get something outside of the fundamentals could impact all this a lot to watch todd as always thanks for your perspective appreciate it thank thank you mike always a pleasure dtn lead analyst todd holtman all right up next the border situation as thousands continue to pour across the border going across in many cases uh ranches and farms what's the impact what's the situation there on the border in texas and uh, what are farm bureaus across the country asking the Biden administration to do? We'll talk with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com. 
youtube.com backslash field posts. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, the corn and soy complexes are sharply higher on the mostly hot and dry forecast ahead for much of the western and northern corn belt. Minneapolis wheat futures started a bit lower but have turned their way back around and are higher as well as volatility continues to be elevated across this entire marketplace. As the ag sector mostly higher overnight as well following USDA's weekly crop progress report which showed deterioration in crops due to adverse weather. Corn condition rating going from 76% good to excellent down to 72% nationwide as U.S. corn and soybean condition ratings are near average, but adverse weather is proving a drag to those ratings with spring wheat crop ratings the second lowest on record since 1988 for the week. Now, portions of the northern plains and much of the Canadian prairies are expected to see beneficial rains the next several days, yet heat will remain a problem for the northwestern core belt with crop stress expanding to most of the northwestern half of the belt over the next two days. The 16- to 30-day weather outlook doesn't look much better west of the Mississippi River. Meantime, in livestock, after trading mostly lower Monday, the live cattle contracts are trying to regain some of their position in Tuesday's early market but have slipped a little bit lower. Meanwhile, the lean hog market continues to trade mildly higher, but the feeder cattle contracts are trading mostly lower as the corn market aims higher once again. Taking a look at a few of the numbers right now, July corn up 12 and a quarter, 691 and a half. July soybeans, 31 and three quarters higher, 1592. July Minneapolis spring wheat, nine and a half higher, 794 and a half. July Chicago wheat up 18 and a half, 698 and a half. July KC wheat up 19 and a half, 649 and a half. June live cattle down 10, 116.12. Feeder cattle for August down 192, 148.27. June hogs up 30 at 120.20. For Adams on Agriculture, I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. It is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it firsthand, to live it day by day, especially if you're a property owner, say you're a rancher, farmer in that area, and what you're going through right now, watching all these people come onto your land. Let's talk about it with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Russell, thanks for being back with us here on AOA. We appreciate it. Uh, Give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. 
Well, good morning, Mike. You know, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thanks, thanks for your interest. Um, really, you know, uh, uh, over the past several weeks, I can't really say anything has changed. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's still a crisis. It's, it's, um, it's probably escalated some. Uh, we're still hearing, uh, hearing from our folks along the border. I, I don't actually live along the border, but of course we have many Farm Bureau members, uh, and other ag producers along the border and, uh, they're still dealing with the with the influx of, of folks coming over here illegally. Uh, so you're you know it's been talked about some already. Um, you're looking at damage to uh, damage to crops and damage damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So uh, uh, those are the things we're dealing with. I would think damage to crops, damage to uh, fences or whatever, but also concern about if. You know, if your kids are out playing in the backyard, not knowing who's coming through oh, your property. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, and 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 safety. I should have mentioned safety up front as well. Safety for your family, uh, whether you know whether it's your your kids playing or or your you or yourself working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, working on your farm or ranch. Uh, safety's become a very a very big concern as well because, uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, a lot of these folks. Uh, are are, are are criminals i mean uh, they're, they're, and the coyotes the, the human smugglers are are using using the fact that there's a surge uh to really make it easier for them to do their to do their dirty work whether they're smuggling uh whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug drug trafficking or things of that nature so uh you know you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum and who really have no criminal intent on their mind, you're also dealing with the, with the criminal element. Right. And we're not just talking about dozens of people. We're talking about thousands of people coming across that border. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're hearing of, of people seeing groups of groups regularly, you know, in the 40 to 50 range, even pushing up to 100, you know, and, and, and we hear stories of, of and these are documented stories of, of of ranchers seeing groups like several groups like that on a daily basis. Uh, so no, it's not it, it's not just a small amount of people for sure. We're talking with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining. Now, Russell, several uh, farm bureaus across the country, you you've asked the Biden administration, you kind of a call for action for them to do something. What is it you're wanting to see done? Well. Appreciate you bringing that up. Actually, uh, the four border states—California, Arizona, New Mexico, and us—the uh, border states of, of with Mexico—spearheaded uh, uh, this letter, and uh, we we enlisted the help of American Farm Bureau to to uh, to work with our other state farm bureaus. We we were able to get all 50 state farm bureaus plus Puerto Rico to sign on to the letter. We sent it to. Um, Department of, of uh, Homeland Security, the secretary there, uh, the secretary of the Department of Interior, and, uh, of course, Secretary Vilsack of the Department of Agriculture. So uh, we we just we, we feel like the federal government just needs to get more, put more resources in it. Uh, uh, you know, we don't, we don't say that we have all the answers exactly what to do here, what, you know, there's different things that people talk about, and, you know, sometimes they get a little partisan. Let's face it. We start talking about the wall and things like that. We didn't even we didn't even go down that road, uh, Mike. We just 
we just feel like the federal government needs to recognize in a more direct way that it is a crisis and, and to send more resources because, quite frankly, it's, it's taxing the resources of our local law enforcement. Uh, uh, you know, lo- local, local uh, county, uh, county law enforcement, state uh, law enforcement are having to spend more time, uh, you know, protecting our citizens from the illegal immigration. So you know what happens then? Their, their, uh, their resources are taxed. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's a complicated issue, uh, but it's, it's just a matter of, uh, recognizing that it is a crisis and, and addressing it in a more direct way. Well, we know money doesn't fix everything, but we also know this administration has spent a lot of money, send a lot of money a lot of places very quickly since taking over. Uh, so one of the main things you're asking for, resources to deal with the, with the issue, right? And you're not seeing enough resources come down to address the problem. That, that's, that's right. You know, and, and, and like I said, there's, there's things that can be done. There's, there's you know, I mean, and everybody has, an, every, you know, the people that are dealing directly with it, I mean, they have opinions on it, uh, and, and I'm sure sometimes they have different opinions on it. I mean, there's, there's places where the, where the, uh, where the influx is, is, is real heavy. Um, maybe, maybe a wall in that area is the right answer, you know, but maybe a wall is not the answer everywhere. Uh, you know, maybe uh, more detention centers as they come in, uh, to process them, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, we understand that the, the vice president is in Guatemala, uh, either either as we speak or was there a day or so ago, uh, and, and, and trying to, to, to address it, you know, with the Guatemala. Probably it is, uh, but you still have the, the folks that are, that are here already or on the way already, and uh, uh, that definitely has to be dealt with. Russell, does this put agriculture in a tough spot as there's the need and the call for labor in this country, and much of that is uh, migrant labor. Uh, Does it put the focus on that situation, the need to address this the correct way, and what's the way it's been handled hasn't really uh, met the needs that are out there? Oh, that's that's a very good point, Mike, and that's that's another another one of our concerns. As you well know, uh, agriculture has been working for a, a more workable guest worker program for years. Uh, we under, we want a, a a legal way to to uh, uh, acquire some workers, uh, some immigrant workers, and this situation definitely puts the focus on this and and takes away from from that issue. Uh, you know, but, but the two issues I've always, I've always said, you know, really, I mean, we want legal, legal immigration. We understand that legal immigration is, is part of our nation's history. And, and, uh, uh, you know, immigrant labor has done, uh, immigrant labor has played a huge role in, 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 in the advancement of lots of things in this country, agriculture in, included. So, but it needs to be legal. But then this issue takes away, takes all the, the, the air out of the room, so to speak, all the oxygen out of the room uh, for us to move forward uh, on the other end for a more, for a more uh, a workable guest worker program. Much has been made that neither 
the president nor the vice president have actually gone to the border and seen firsthand what is happening there. Do you think that would help the situation or, or not? <laughs> I think I think it would definitely show it shows a good faith effort, uh, Mike. I, I guess in my in my opinion now, yes, it would it would show a more good faith effort. Uh, not saying that they're not trying to do anything, uh, but. But uh, you need to go down there and, and, and see it and talk to the boots on the ground, uh, uh, the Border Patrol, the, the, the local sheriffs, uh, the state DPS officers that are, that are down there. I, I, I would think, uh, again, uh, you know, it, it's, it, this is not a partisan issue. Uh, it's really not. I've, I've tried to make that point on a couple of different uh, uh, times. Uh, it's a humanitarian issue. It really is. It's a it's a safety issue for our folks. It's a safety issue for the folks that are being smuggled over. At times, they become caught up in a in a human trafficking ring, uh, and then it's a humanitarian issue for those folks. I mean, you've seen the stories as well as I have. A lot of folks have. There's there's young children being abandoned, uh, you know, just because probably you know they were tired. They couldn't make. They couldn't keep going. Uh, we have to send the message to, to the folks that, that you know, if, if you're seeking asylum, there has to be a better way to do this than just mass, mass influx to the border. So, yeah, I, I think just, I know that was a long answer to your question, but I think just the fact if, if, if they would visit the border in, in, in two or three places, and uh, I think it would maybe, maybe show a little more, just a, just a better effort. Again, not saying that there's not some effort going on. Well, certainly uh, it would help you see what needs to be done and make, I think it would uh, call attention to uh, trying to get some resolution to this. Talk with the people, as you said, that are on the ground there dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, get that input. And maybe they're doing that by phone or emails, but it doesn't seem like the, their communication is going all that well, so maybe face-to-face -face would help. Russell, thank you so much for the, uh, the, uh, the accounting of what's going on there, what you're seeing and hearing, and this call for action from the Farm Bureaus across the country. Uh, we'll talk again soon about uh, what kind of response you get from this. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate it. Russell Baining, president of the Texas Farm Bureau. All right, up next, we'll talk... Uh, wheat conditions for both winter wheat and spring wheat. Uh, we'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. 
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture, your thoughts on the impact of the recent court ruling striking down faster line speeds in, packing, in some packing plants. Uh, Pork Producers Council coming out saying that could really hurt smaller producers. What are your thoughts on the impact of that decision? I think it's going to hurt kind of anybody. Um, uh, smaller producers might take the brunt of it. They usually take the brunt of any kind of disruption. Um, you know, number one is my thought is I'm horribly disappointed in USDA. Uh, that they wouldn't go and fight for something that's been proven to be okay and proven to be effective. As far as its impact, yes, uh, you know, it's going to slow these six plants down. It's going to take 2.7 to 3% of our slaughter capacity away, and that's not a big deal right at the moment. But it is going to put us in a bind come the fourth quarter. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest this week is Jason Berkland, an Associate Vice President of Risk Management at Nationwide, here to share farm safety tips and reminders for June Safety Month. Before someone sets foot in a grain bin, what should they remember? Yeah, they should always remember that there's many hazards when you get inside of a grain bin. There's engulfment hazards from flowing grain. There's atmospheric conditions, uh, mechanical and electrical hazards, and just the equipment inside the bin itself. So no one should enter a bin without thinking through those hazards and then making sure they enter safely, wearing the proper protective equipment and utilizing a spotter or an attendant to help them. We really want every farmer or grain handler to just stay out if possible. The zero enter mentality is, is what we want them to think about. We have some great educational materials addressing these hazards and what to do to control the hazards on our website at thinkgrainbinsafety.com. For those listening that will be working in or around a bin, uh, what can they do not only to keep themselves safe, but to help the people around them stay safe? The biggest thing is just to think before you enter. Uh, think about the grain that has to be removed from the bin. How was the grain coming out? What kind of condition was it in when you were running it? Um, could there be bridging in that bin? Could there be a potential for an engulfment hazard? So it's just critical to have the proper equipment, have the proper plans in place, and make sure someone is with you. Again, we talked about the entrant or the intendant. Uh, make sure somebody's there. When you go in by yourself, you uh, raise that level of hazardous potential uh, when not working with another person. 
That's Jason Berkland, an Associate Vice President of Risk Management at Nationwide. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Just want to follow up a few more thoughts uh, from our conversation with Russell Baining, president of Texas Farm Bureau, about the border situation and the call Farm Bureaus are putting out to the Biden administration to take some action on this. Much has been made about neither the president nor the vice president going to the border. And, you know, a lot of times the presidential or vice pres- presidential visits somewhere uh, get to be largely pomp and circumstance, mostly ceremony, and sometimes can actually slow things down that are trying to get done. But in this case, it has gone on so long that um, they're absent, they're conspicuous by their absence of not ever going there and, and talking firsthand, face to face with the people that are dealing with it and seeing what happens. I think what happens sometimes if you go, if you're a leader, uh, a political leader, and you go to a, a situation like this and see it firsthand, then that leaves an impression on you, and those impressions then might um, guide you in some future action. Uh, so far, we're not seeing very much action, and the situation, despite denials and a reluctance to admit there's even a crisis going on, what we've seen is the situation get worse and worse. So um, you, you feel for those people that are down there. There are a lot of uh, heartbreaking situations on both sides that are going on, but there are a lot of people taking advantage of the situation for illegal activities such as drug smuggling and human smuggling, human trafficking, things like that. It's just a situation that must be addressed. And uh, we'll see what comes from this call for action Farm Bureaus are making to the administration. We'll see what the response is. All right, let's talk now about the crop conditions, wheat crop conditions. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, joins us. Justin, thanks a lot. Let's talk both uh, winter wheat and spring wheat. Bring us up to date on both. Let's start uh, with the harvest that's about to get underway in Kansas. Oh, you bet, Mike. It's good to visit with you this morning. You know, it is that time of year where wheat harvest is upon us. So we're we're kind of getting started already in uh, south uh, South Texas in the central part of the state. Uh, just got started in par- portions of Oklahoma, uh, just across the border. And then uh, Kansas is still about a week away, Mike, but I can sure give you some thoughts on how things are looking so far. Well, how do they look? Uh, we we talked to you about the challenges, the ups and downs. Uh, how do things look as you head to harvest? You know, it's been uh, it's been a roller coaster ride talking about these, this year's crop conditions with you, Mike. I appreciate the time, but you know, uh, harvest got started in that southern part and central part of Texas uh, about two weeks ago, and it's really been unfortunate as combines got down there, custom cutters got down there in the central part of the state, and it's really got bogged down just because of the wet weather. Uh, they haven't been able to get combines back in the field and actually are starting to run into some quality issues in that central part between Waco and Dallas. Uh, that, that weed is actually starting to show some quality concerns because the water's standing in the field. Uh, they haven't been able to get going out further west of Texas quite yet. It's waiting for things to dry out. Uh, so it's, they, they've gone, they've, they've had that roller coaster ride too. They, they had a pretty good crop that they were anticipating to get harvest, but just haven't been able to get into, into the field. And so what's really going to happen now, 
uh, is because of that delays we're seeing in Texas and the high temperatures we're starting to get across Oklahoma and up into central Kansas, uh, the crop's starting to ripen pretty fast up here. Uh, we're going to have harvest happening pretty much from uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, all the way up to Wichita, Kansas, maybe at a pretty similar time frame. So it, mm-hmm. it's going to cause a cause a concern and a, a strain on on uh, on custom cutting uh, availability. But when you think about the Oklahoma crop, uh, they got started over the weekend. Uh, they uh, just got into the southwest part of Oklahoma. Uh, they saw yields that were ranging from 40 to 60 bushels. Test weights were holding up pretty good. Uh, and so the early indications from the Oklahoma crop uh, were positive. Uh, they did get some rains that that shut uh, their harvest down, so they're going to be out of the field for for a couple days. But uh, they got off to to a, to a pretty good start, and early indications were were an average to above average crop. Uh, when you look up farther north, up at Kansas, uh, you know just we had such such good conditions for filling uh, the month of May that really uh, you know, were indicated by last night's crop conditions report. You know the state of Kansas had reported 65 percent good to excellent rating uh, and so we've just seen an incrementally increase just because of the cooler wet weather that we've had and the rains that we've had uh, have really had the overall state looking uh, a lot better and actually a little bit better record uh, a little bit better crop conditions rating than what we had uh, prior to uh, 2016 which was the, the record per acre uh, yield that the state of Kansas had so it's a uh, but it's not in the bin yet, Mike, and so uh, we are hmm. subject to hailstorms and, th- and those types of things. But uh, right now, uh, uh, there's a lot of optimism as combines are getting getting greased up and uh, getting ready to roll here pretty soon. And be very busy. You mentioned some of the weather challenges that could yet happen. You've seen some of those in isolated spots that have impacted the spring wheat crop. Well. You know, spring wheat is definitely probably what's getting most of the story, especially when it comes to markets. When you think about those crop conditions ratings, uh, you, the P&W and the dryness that they're having up there, the state of Washington's over 55% poor to very poor rating. It's kind of historically low crop ratings that they're seeing in those areas. And then you get over into the Dakotas, Montana spring wheat areas, into the North Dakota and South Dakota, and uh, you have 33 or a third of that crop is actually rated at poor to very poor. So certainly getting a lot of a lot of concerns uh, with uh, with that spring wheat crop, uh, and maybe uh, in a year where balance sheets might be uh, a little tight on the milling quality side of wheat, that there is a hiccup with the spring wheat production. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing the Minneapolis futures kind of leading this market market higher. But it doesn't give a good indication to uh, the Southern Plains producers when we are potentially going to have a shorter crop uh, with crop conditions like that up in the spring wheat areas. Uh, with the early uh, challenges that they're having in Texas getting the crop out of the field, that premium for milling quality wheat and protein milling quality wheat is something producers need to be aware of. And so uh, especially when we get into Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Nebraska, and South Dakota, uh, those producers where they can, being able to identify uh, milling markets that uh, might have uh, uh, maybe a little bit better value for, for protein and that milling quality wheat. Uh, could be a little bit tighter balance sheet that those guys are going to want to try to deliver into those markets. All right, Justin, thanks a lot. And we'll talk again when the harvest really gets going there in Kansas and get an update from you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks for all you do for agriculture, Mike. Thanks, Justin. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. That wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, I'll be at World Pork Expo in Des Moines. Hope you'll join us on AOA. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.